if you would take your bulletin or your Bible and turn to Psalm 46. We continue in the Psalms this summer and continuing the theme of revival. But now we, we've looked at a couple of songs, Psalms that um, remind us of the pressing need for revival, both personally and corporately and nationally, globally. But now we turn to a few Psalms that remind us of the promise that is there for those who pray for revival. Who is God and what is God up to that would give us confidence to pray and ask Him to revive us, to revive His church, and to awaken the world with the gospel? So we'll start this morning with Psalm 46. When our kids were little, uh, we taught them a little song that was part of the Steve Green collection of scripture songs. Uh, and it was from another psalm, Psalm 56. And it went like this. When they were little and we're tucking them into bed or uh, they're afraid in the dark in the night or something's causing them to be anxious, we would sing with them. And Anna could probably do it, but I won't make her do it. Um, this little song. Um, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise. That's Psalm 56, 3 and 4, I think. Um, God has always loved to give his children songs to sing in the dark. Songs to sing when they're afraid or anxious or distressed. Uh, Psalm 46 is one of those, and we sang Martin Luther's version of Psalm 46 earlier, a mighty fortress. If you didn't know, it was based on Psalm 46. And he used to say to his friend, uh, Philip Melanchthon, when things around them were not going well, he used to say, come, let's sing the 46th Psalm and let them do their worst. And so... Um, God has given us, this is not so much a prayer as it is a song for his people to sing in the dark. So would you stand with me as we hear it said, not sung. This is the word of the Lord who loves you. It was written to the choir master of the sons of Korah. They were... They're kind of the worship band of Israel, so to speak. According to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. 
Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as I pray. Father, come to us now by your spirit and teach us your word. Help us to see and know that you are our refuge and strength. And help us to trust that it's true even when everything around us spells trouble. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So 165 people went to bed one night about a week and a half ago to rest, to get up the next morning, maybe some to go to the beach, maybe some to go to work, maybe some to spend time with family. As of today, 24 of them are confirmed dead and the rest are likely buried in the rubble of what once was the building that they thought was solid and secure and would make them safe and secure. It's gone, and so are they. And while we grieve and pray for, hopefully, those who still may yet be saved, but particularly for their families, um, we wonder, how could something like this happen? And there's been lots of speculation, as I'm sure you've heard or read this week. Um, some of the theories include, uh, perhaps it's the, the salt air, salt water, that over time has corroded the columns underneath in the parking garage of this building, this tower. And of course, Concrete and rebar don't hold up well against the corrosion of salt. And perhaps it's true that there was a sinkhole that formed right before the collapse and the sand shifted underneath and it all fell down. We don't know and they'll investigate. But we, we wonder, <laughs> this, this is America. This is where we have builders and building codes that keep these kinds of things from happening. This is a very unusual thing in our country. Uh, who can we trust to build a building that we can rest in at night? And all of this stirs up the question for many of us, can I really rely on anything to hold me up so that I can rest? Is there something I could rely on that will hold me up so that I can rest? The sons of Korah wrote Psalm 46 for people asking that question, for people in that kind of distress. If you look at verse 2, listen to what they were dealing with. Things that 
should never change or changing. The earth, which should never change, it should never give way, and that's what that word give way means. It means to change or to shift or to slip or to slide. Things that should never change were changing, like the earth. Things that should never move, like mountains, were moving. This is what they were dealing with. And the sons of Korah were not necessarily writing about natural disaster. They were using natural disaster to illustrate what we all fear, and that is things that are solid slipping away. And what was it that caused this slippage, this slipping away? The mountains moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. It's fascinating. The ocean, the sea, uh, in ancient Near East religions, represented chaos and evil and wickedness and unruliness and unrest. And so here, the sons of Korah are contrasting mountains and earth solid, unmoving, unmovable, with unruly wickedness that has no rest. And they're coming against each other. And the sea swells, it says. And that's a fascinating word because it it has a couple of uh, nuances to it. It swells in its power. It roars, the sons of Korah said. But it also swells in its pride. Uh, Because the word that means swell there can mean that too, like a chest that puffs up and says, I have power and strength, and I'm coming against you. So the people of God are in troubled times where wickedness and evil and chaos are roaring and rising up against them. What do we do? And they shake and tremble with fear. And the sons of Korah write a song to help them have confidence in their God. And the whole theme of Psalm 46 is about this God who is their refuge and strength. Now there's a little chorus, there's a little refrain in verses 7 and 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, it's actually in those two verses, they're flipping what they said in verse 1, that God is their refuge and strength. Um, in verses 7 and 11 in the chorus, the Lord of hosts is with us. That's our strength. The Lord of hosts was the Lord of angel armies. Um, There's strength, there's power in this God who is with us. So the Lord is our strength. But he is also the God of Jacob who is our fortress. He's our refuge. And this was a fortress that was set high up in the mountains, out of the reach of oncoming enemies, a place of safety. And so in verse 1, you have that flipped, reverse, uh, re- refuge and strength. And then in the chorus in 7-11, you have strength and, and refuge. That's the whole theme of the psalm, sons of Korah. What, who do you trust in times of trouble? You trust the God who is your refuge and your strength. And then he just, so then, just so that you understand where this psalm is flowing, uh, how it 
holds together, they then take that God and say something about him in each of these three sections. In the first section, they're going to say that God is a ready enough, he's a very present help, he's a very present refuge and strength. That's verses 1 through 3. Verses 4 through 7, they're going to talk about his strength, that he is within them. He makes his habitation within them. And then in the remainder of it, in verses 8 through 11, they're going to talk about God as our fortress, as our refuge. So let's look at this together and let God increase our confidence in him in our times of trouble in verses 1 through, th- 1 through 3, verse 1 in particular, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. One commentator translated that very present part as ready enough. And I kind of like that. I've been mulling that over this week. And the reason he translated it that way is because this word for very present which kind of sounds kind of vague to us, is used in other parts of the Old Testament to mean a couple of things. One, that this God is readily available. He's ready. He's, He's easy to be found. He can be quickly found. But then the other way it's used is to say that God is sufficient. He's enough. So you may be able to find him, but will he be enough to help you when you do? Recently, I uh, was at the dentist, but not this one, sadly. I was at another one, and I was getting my temporary crown removed so I could get my permanent crown on. And uh, she had done such a great job putting the temporary crown on that it was having a little trouble popping off. Well, she started asking her assistant for all these uh, tools that she had nearby that Frankly, the sound of them scared me to death. I didn't know what was going to take place in my mouth that day. But, uh, you know, she had this extractor. She had this drill, and it was making its noise. But they did the job. They were sufficient. They were enough. They got it done. And she had them readily available. I kind of think of that when I think that God is our ready enough help. He's there he's available and he's enough to be the help that we need he is enough of a refuge and enough strength for us when we need him Jesus sang this song and I imagine Jesus singing it in worship with his family in the synagogue Every Sabbath, I imagine him perhaps singing Psalm 46 as he and his father are doing some work together in the carpenter shop. And I started thinking this week, what would it be like for Jesus to sing this part of the psalm? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And I imagine Jesus thinking to himself as he's singing that psalm, God is a ready enough help in time of trouble and thinking, oh, my people, oh, my people, I am your ready enough help. I'm nearby. I came in the flesh to be up close and personal with you, 
to be near you. I'm ready. I'm here. And oh, my people, I am enough. I am enough in all of my obedience. Where you were weak in obeying God and couldn't do it, I was strong for you. I am your strength. And I am your refuge, oh, my people, When the mountain of your righteousness caved under the pressure of the wind and the waves of the wrath of God, I was the refuge that you could run to because I am your ready enough help. And so, friends, we can sing this song with confidence that Jesus is our ready enough help in our times of trouble. He's proven it. He's shown us. We can sing the next song Stanza 2, verses 4 through 7. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, it's interesting, uh, this visual picture of there's a a river that makes glad the city of God. There was no river in Jerusalem. There was no river in Jerusalem. There was a river outside of Jerusalem on the east side, the Kidron River. But even the Kidron River was not always uh, very reliable. Many times during the seasons, it was dry. But the river was outside the city, outside the walls, not in it. And then you think, oh, maybe there's a spring. Maybe there's a spring of fresh water inside the city. No, there's the Gihon Spring, which is just outside of the wall of the city on the southeast side. But it it wasn't in the city. In fact, you can go now today and see Hezekiah's tunnels that he dug so that they would have access to the spring and draw that water into the city so they would have it. It's interesting that the sons of Korah would talk about a river whose streams make glad the city when they didn't have one. And I think the point is, I don't want you to depend on something that you have. <laughs> I want you to depend on something physical or, or anything like that. I want you to p- depend on me as your river, me as your source of strength and satisfaction. I dwell, I, I have made the city my holy habitation, and I am in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. It's the same word as the earth gives way. So the earth may give way, but my people will not be moved because I'm in her, I'm with her to give her strength. He goes on to say, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. Totter is the same word as gives way and move. So the earth may move and the kingdoms, they're going to totter, but you will not be moved, my people, because I, I dwell within you. Now Jesus sang this song and Jesus knew what we know now that on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, uh, Jerusalem is not who we sing about when we sing this song. We are the new Jerusalem. We are the 
city of God, Revelation tells us. Um, we are the temple of God. Jesus said, if you believe in me, then out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And John said that Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit. So the people of God, we do have a river flowing within us, within this city, within this temple. It's the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, has made us His holy habitation. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, His dwelling, His house. And He's in the midst of us. And no matter what's going on outside of us, we will not be moved because Jesus has made his home in his people. And then verse 6, imagine what this sounds like for Jesus. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Luther said, one little word shall fell the enemy, Satan. One little word will strike him down. Jesus is that word. And so we sing this song with Jesus in mind, knowing that he is our strength because he lives in us, his people, by his spirit. And what about the third stanza, the last one, where it teaches us that God is our refuge? Come, behold the works of the Lord. Behold them, look at them, peer into them. What has God been doing? God's people, the sons of Korah, want to remind us how he's brought desolations on the earth. Desolations. Remember, oh God's people, remember the plagues of Egypt that God brought upon Egypt. Each of those plagues was aimed at a particular God of Egypt to say, no, I am the Lord. I will be exalted. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Oh, God's people, do you remember the story when little David showed up with nine-foot Goliath holding a spear that looked like a small tree? And David trusted the Lord and said, No, the Lord of hosts is with me. You bring against me a spear. I bring against you the Lord of hosts, and with one little stone, he felled him. Remember that, O people. And then remember when Joshua brought the people from the wilderness into the promised land and they wiped out those that God had told them to remove from the land and he burned their chariots. Remember, O God's people, all the things that God has done in order to keep his promise to save you and make you his own. God says in verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, friends, we tend to take this verse and think that it's talking to us. It's saying, be still. But first, God is saying, be still to all of his enemies. And that word be still means to just let go. Release your grip. Release your grip. God says that to every one of his enemies. 
And it's because he said, be still to them, that we can be still in him. So as I imagine Jesus singing this psalm when he was young and, and even maybe on, the, on his way to the cross, I imagine him saying, I have been exalted to, I will be exalted to my Father's right hand. I will die for my people on this cross. I will rise from the dead. I will be exalted to my Father's right hand. And from there, as the scriptures have promised, I will make his enemies my footstool. And Jesus, right now, from his second-in-command, so to speak, place beside his Father, is saying, be still. His cross said, be still to sin. His resurrection said, be still to the grave and to Satan. And now he says, be still to the sin in our hearts as he subdues them by his grace. And so, as a result, we can rest. We can be still. He's done all the work. Notice how everything that is said about God in this psalm is followed by, is responded to by some sort of emotion. God is your very present help in trouble. You don't have to fear. God lives inside of you as the river of living water. He's made his holy habitation in you, so therefore you can be glad. And in this last one, God is exalted. He has said, be still to all of your enemies, so you can be, you can be still. So Mountain Fellowship, your father, who loves you and understands that we sometimes get afraid of the dark, and we tremble at what's going on around us. Um, he's given us a song. He's given us this song to sing, to read, um, to pray back to him, to remind us that he is our refuge and he is our strength. And so I want to ask us, because this psalm also has this subtle warning to it. And I think the subtle warning for us, Mountain Fellowship, is this. Don't let our fear of what's going on in the world around us drive us to take refuge and find strength in something else besides God, something else besides Jesus. Let's not let the troubles in our world and our fear about what's happening drive us to find strength and refuge in political power. Oh, by all means, Christians, be involved in politics, but don't make it your refuge and your strength. That place is reserved for Jesus alone. Don't make your denomination your refuge and strength. And some of you are saying, there's no fear of that. I don't even know what our denomination is. Um, but some of you are concerned uh, about where are we going as a denomination. As we look around at other denominations, where are they going? They're slipping down the slope. Don't make your denomination your refuge and your strength. Your denomination can't handle the pressure 
of being your refuge and your strength. Instead, let us be a church in our denomination who is faithful to the scriptures, who is focused on the gospel, who is formed by the gospel, and who is fervently spreading that gospel to our neighbors and the nations and the next generation as we rely on Jesus as our refuge and strength, not on our denomination and what they decide. We love them. We serve them. We want to be a part of them. Yes, but they are not our refuge and strength. And then finally, Mountain Fellowship, let's not make us our refuge and strength. Let's, let's take the gospel seriously, yes, but let's not take ourselves all that seriously. We will not save ourselves. We are not strong enough. Let's not lean all we are and all of our hopes on how creative we are, how clever we are, how compassionate we are, and we are all these things. But if we begin to make our own cleverness and creativity and compassion our refuge and strength, it'll crumble. Let's not make our um, personalities and personnel and our programs our refuge and our strength. Those things change and those things can't hold the weight of who we are. Let's not do that. So, this is my pastoral call to us. Let's make Jesus our refuge and our strength. One last thought, and then I'll pray, and we'll come to the table. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Why would anyone want to identify themselves with Jacob? Do you, have you read his story? He was a mess. He was a wreck. He was a swindler, a liar, a cheat, a weakling. He was bad news. I think the sons of Korah chose Jacob's name on purpose. They should have said, they could have said the God of Abraham. They could have said the God of Isaac or Moses or King David. But they said Jacob. Because being the God of Jacob means that he's a God of grace. Our fortress is not in being a church that's strong. Our fortress is Jesus, and he invites weak, messed up, snively, conniving, swindling, lying, cheating wretches. That God is our fortress. Father, would you help us? <laughs> help us to be comfortable with being followers of the God of Jacob, being identified with a man who was such a mess. But it brings comfort to us, Father, because we're just like him. And if you can be his fortress, you are ours. And here in this table, you have come and you have said, I am a ready enough help to weak people like you. And this table is proof because Jesus says, I came in a body and I shed real blood 
so that I could be near and I could be enough for you. God, help us to continue to hunger for the body and blood of Jesus in our weakness. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As our elders come to prepare to serve you, I'll remind you that there'll be some of us on either side of the table, and if you'll just come to the center aisle and down and come see uh, one of us on one side or the other, we'll serve you the bread and the cup, and if you'll take it back to your seat and hold it, we'll wait till everyone is served. And Last week, I realized that I never wait for these guys to be served, and that's just rude. Um, So we're going to wait until all of us are served, um, and the final elder is served, and then we'll eat together. But as you're waiting, um, talk to your ready-enough help and ask him for what you need because he loves you. I'll remind us that on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. When you eat, remember me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the forgiveness of their sins. When you drink it, remember me. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to remember you and to feed on you by faith and with great thanksgiving. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.